Greetings, founders. Welcome to Feel the Boot, the science of startups. I'm your host, Lance Cottrell, and I'm here to help you navigate the nearly vertical learning curve that you're going to encounter as you launch your startup. I've been there before, and I've helped countless other founders through this process to do the strategy and fundraising to get the successful outcome they want. I see a pattern with a lot of the founders I work with, particularly technical founders, and it's something I've been guilty of myself. It's when you get way down the road of developing your product before you've really validated whether you're building the right thing. So today I want to talk about why you need to stop and put the brakes on your development and what you should be doing instead. Now I think I know why this happens. It's because for technical founders, coding and development is often our comfort zone. We're happiest when we're behind the keyboard in a dark room, banging out code and creating new software. That's really why we got into this business in the first place, right? It's why we started the company. And getting out and talking to people makes you uncomfortable. And you may feel like you understand what the problem is. You know your customers, you are a good model for them and can stand in in making those decisions. I gotta tell you, in most cases, you're not, in fact, a good model for your customers unless you're building a tool for people who are exactly like you. And I've actually been through that where I thought I was. I was building one of the early versions of the Anonymizer application. And I thought, well, I'm a privacy-passionate guy. My customers are privacy-passionate people. I can represent them in our product design process. And so we came out with this really cool version of the product, which had all kinds of really fine-grained controls over how things would work. And you could, on every single website, and maybe down to a page, and what kind of information could they get? And what sort of scripts could they run? What did we modify versus block versus change, right? tons of controls so you could dial in exactly the kind of information you wanted websites to know about you. And our customers hated it. They didn't use any of those features. It was kind of a disaster. And to be truthful, I didn't even use those features. It turns out I wasn't even a good proxy for me when I was designing this product. And so the next version of the product, we spent some time actually talking to people and it had one control and it turned it on or off. The customers really loved it, but it took getting out of my head and talking to people to make that happen. And the consequences of being wrong aren't trivial. You could invest an enormous amount of time into building a version of your app, which once it actually encounters customers, you end up scrapping most of. You have to start almost entirely from scratch because you didn't do the homework beforehand to make sure that you were building the right thing. But we all know that you're gonna learn once your app actually encounters customers and you're getting real feedback in the real world. But the less you can manage to pivot at that point, the more you can do it before you start coding, the better off you are. So there's a lot of things you might want to validate about your solution. And I've put together a list of a handful of what I think are the most important things to be understanding about your customer. The first of those is how big a pain point is this for them? 
I've talked about this in a lot of other episodes, but just because what you're doing is better than what they're doing now, or will save them some money, doesn't mean it's worth their trouble to switch or adopt something new. Right? Canonically, almost everything is better than Excel, and it's amazing how many people are willing to keep using it because it is good enough. This flows into what priority is this for your customer? Even if this is something that's a big enough deal for them to want to buy, is this something that they would buy now instead of doing all the other things that they might be doing? Right? We're all besieged by opportunities to buy things to improve our life in one way or the other, and we're only going to buy a very small fraction of those. So do you fall into that category? And what would it take for you to change to get to that point where they're saying, yes, this is something I need right now? The other question is, are you building the right features for them? In general, this might be a problem they have, but perhaps the thing that you're building, that's a nice to have. But if you did this slightly other thing, that would be a game changer for them. And so understanding that, you'll now prioritize building that feature rather than your initial thought to make sure that you are going to end up with that product market fit. And speaking of those alternatives, what are the alternatives? What are you competing against uh, as direct competition, right? Things that are substitutable for what you're doing. And are you enough better? So I'm always saying good enough is good enough. So unless you are orders of magnitude, or at least an order of magnitude in general, better than what they're doing, people are unlikely to undergo the switching costs to take up a new solution, especially from an early stage startup. Remember, you're already behind the eight ball with them because they're worried about your ability to deliver. They're worried that you're not going to exist in six months, right? So you've got to be really, really compelling to get someone to drop an established, well-understood, reliable solution to use something better, but from an unknown source. Another thing you really need to wrap your head around is the implementation issues or concerns that may come up. So just because you have this great solution and they want it and it's a big pain point, can they easily actually implement it and pick it up and use it? What context is this going into? What other problems do they have? What pre-existing solutions do they have in place or systems or protocols or types of computers or operating systems or platforms, cloud providers? Right? There are all kinds of things that are going on inside of a company that could made it, make it more difficult to adopt your solution. And if that's a problem that is common across the set of customers that you're trying to address, that's actually going to be a real blocker for you going forward. So when you're going out and talking to these customers, try to get a statistically significant sense of what that looks like. Next, you want to be thinking about pricing, making sure that your pricing model works for your customer and reflects the way they perceive the value of the thing you're offering. But you want to make sure that as they grow, you know, if you're, you're doing a B2B solution and it's going to scale with the size of the customer and the size of the deployment, you want the price to scale with the perceived value by the customer. And so you're going to want to spend some time talking to them about why they like this and how they're going to use it and how the way it benefits them, the way it saves them money or makes them more efficient is going to scale with the rollout. And then as part of your value-based pricing, you want to be trying to track that as opposed to some other arbitrary measure which might lead to either you're pricing yourself out of the market or leaving a ton of money on the table. 
And finally, this is a great time to be talking about messaging. How do you describe the solution to your potential customers? And how do they react to that? You're going to want to try talking about it in a lot of different ways to see what resonates, what benefits that you bring forth make them sit up and pay attention versus what things do you talk about to sort of go by. And paying close attention to that can help you then not just refine what are the benefits that matter to them, but refine how you talk about it. So when you actually finish the product, you have your MVP and you're trying to go push it into the market, you know how to sell it to them because you know what kinds of descriptions of the capability and the benefits will really click with that audience. Now, as an introvert, I really wish I could get away with doing this in just one, two, three conversations. It can be painful and time-consuming to go out and talk to lots of people, but it's critical. You need to get a statistically significant sample of your potential customers. If you just talk to three people and two of them say, ah, this is the thing that's really important, it's entirely possible that if you talk to 20 or 30, they were the only two who thought that that was very significant. And in fact, most of them were somewhere else. So make sure you're getting enough data that you're confident, right? you're seeing the pattern enough, and you kind of understand what the range of different answers are. This can also help you nail down who your initial customer is. Right? When we're building pitch decks, we're always talking about, okay, who's that initial customer? Who's the sum, the serviceable, obtainable market that I'm gonna go after first? And that's gonna be that category of people that's the largest and most interested in the things you're doing. So you need to get that statistical significance to know that. Also, there's a real danger when you're talking to customers, especially when you get your first customer, in letting them lead you around by the wallet. Right? They need something and they're paying you and they have some set of features that they want. It's very easy to go, oh, well, they're paying us, let's go build that feature. And then it's like, oh, well, can you do this? Yeah, okay, you're gonna go build that feature. But those might not be the features that matter to the vast majority of customers who are out there. But you're spending all your development time building for this one, in the greater scheme of things, very small customer, rather than creating a solution which will apply to the much larger customer base. So be very careful, especially early on, if you don't have good statistics, in allowing the first person or couple of people to pay you to totally dictate the direction you're going. So before we get to who you should be talking to, because customers isn't really a good answer, it's a little too vague, I wanna ask you a favor. And if you've watched a few of these episodes, you know where I'm going with this. If you've gotten to this spot in the video, you're clearly getting some value out of it. So I'd like to ask you to do me a favor, and that is like this episode. It tells the algorithm that this is the kind of content that you like, and so you'll see more of it. And it helps us because it tells it that other people like you want this kind of content, we get in front of more people, and helping founders is the whole reason this channel exists. If you've been watching for a while and you've seen lots of episodes, I'd like you to do just a little bit more. As a personal favor, please comment on the episodes, subscribe, and share them on social media. Put this out in front of more people. It would be a big favor to me. Thanks. So if your company is a B2C company, you're selling to consumers, then the question of who you need to be talking to is in fact pretty simple. You're talking to those consumers and you'll want to identify within that population who's your target market, but still any consumer will do. But when you're looking at B2B sales, particularly complex high value B2B sales, it gets much murkier. 
because there's now a whole bunch of different constituencies at work within the company. So who do you need to talk to? Well, on one hand, of course, obviously you need to talk to the decision maker, whether that's the CTO, the CEO, right, the person who's gonna write that check. Obviously they need to write the check, so you need to understand why they're gonna write that check and you know, what their criteria are, what success looks like for them. But there's often lots of other players, right? There may be influencers within the company. So the CTO is the decision maker, but he's gonna be looking down at someone closer to the interface, the people who will be using your solution and asking them what they think, how they want to use it, what their priorities are. And so you need to understand how those people are gonna look at this. There may be other gatekeepers involved, other people in the finance or procurement divisions who will have thoughts on how you, they buy, what that purchase structure needs to look like, where their priorities are, how much budget may exist, you need to be working with them. Speaking of budget, maybe you need to be going above the decision maker to help set the budget to ensure that there's enough money to pay for this or to help the decision maker with that. In many cases, you'll find champions within businesses. They're not necessarily the decision maker or the influencer the decision maker would reach out to, but it's someone within the company who really wants this, right? That's actually usually your end user or the end user's boss, someone who will personally and from a career point of view benefit from this solution being implemented. And so understanding who they are and what motivates them is key to when you end up starting to go to sell things, making sure that they are excited and you can find, locate and motivate those internal champions to help you through the sales process. And finally, who are likely to be blockers? Right? Can you talk to people in the IT departments in your potential customers to understand what do they hate about their vendors? Right? What frustrates them? What makes them say, you know what, we are gonna resist this with every fiber of our being. Even though it might be good for the business, it's gonna make our life suck. And so we're gonna try to shut it down. Right? You need to find all the different people who might have an influence on your ability to sell into the company and make sure you're talking to all of them to get that full picture so that when you go to market, you're gonna be more effective. Another case that I see pretty often is founders with marketplace business models where right, there's two sides to the marketplace. You've got the supply side and the demand side. Often they've built this company because they have a particular passion about one or the other sides of this, right? They really understand the customer and what they want and what they need. And they're looking to bring in people to supply that or vice versa. They really understand the suppliers. They understand coaches. They understand people who, you know, create creative or produce software, whatever that may be. And they know that there are people out there who need that and they're gonna bring them in. You need to balance this. So the fact that you understand one side of the marketplace really isn't gonna cut it. You need to spend at least as much time on the other side and probably because you already understand one side, more time on the other side to make sure that you're gonna be able to get that meat in the middle and create both sides of the marketplace at an appropriate pace to make the market function. And the whole point of this and the whole point of this process of talking to customers is about making sure that the thing that you're building or going to build, hopefully, is the right thing. You're creating the right features, the right capabilities, bringing the kind of value that your customers need before you put in that huge amount of investment, right? Get that pivoting out of the way because a pivot at the idea stage or the whiteboard or wireframe stage is pretty cheap. You tear up that piece of paper, you create a new one. By the time you've written 100,000 lines of code, 
Now, if it turns out that some of your fundamental ideas about what you're building or what your customers want or how they'll use it were wrong, you're really in a tough spot. And it, your investors are gonna want to see this kind of thing as well, right? I'm always worried when I see people come in and they're building something, but they don't have that kind of validation. Is this in fact the right idea? And so I don't wanna put my money in if as soon as they launch this thing with the cash I've invested, we discover it's totally wrong and they need to tear it up and go again, right? Now I'm looking at some big dilution because they're not gonna get a step up in valuation when they do their next round, which they're going to need to do because they needed to rebuild the product, right? So having this kind of insight and understanding actually informs everything. It informs what you're gonna build, it informs how you pitch to investors and how do you talk about your business and why you've made the decisions you've made. And it carries through all the way into the sales and marketing. When you're talking about your product to your customers, you can check off all of those concerns and needs, make them feel excited as well as comforted at the same time, all because you've gathered this data. At the end of the day, you want to be having these conversations until when you talk to a prospective customer and you explain what it is you're doing, you get to that shut up and take my money moment where they want you to stop selling them. You, you have sold me enough. I know this, I get this, I want this, please give it to me. And if you can't get to that point with a reasonable fraction of the people you talk to, you need to keep iterating because if, in a low pressure scenario, when it's just a conversation and you don't have something to sell them, and it's the founder that they're talking to, you can't get that level of excitement. It's gonna be much, much harder when you're actually coming asking for money and it isn't you, it's a hired salesman who's doing those meetings, right? And that immediately lowers all of that excitement by several notches. So you need to be at shut up and take my money so that your sales guys will at least get to yes. Thanks very much for sticking through to the end. I hope you found this useful and interesting. And if so, please, like I said before, like, subscribe, leave a comment, share it on social media. I also encourage you to join us at Feel the Boot. You can do that with our community on Facebook, the Feel the Boot Founders Alliance, and I'll put a link to that down in the description, as well as join Feel the Boots boot print. So that's the newsletter. It gives you all of the information about our episodes, links, make sure you don't miss anything, as well as a link to sign up for one-to-one -one coaching with me. So if you've got questions about strategy, going to market, product development, fundraising, uh, I've helped almost every founder I've worked with on every imaginable aspect of their business, I'd love to talk to you. Talking to founders is one of the best parts of my day because you guys are so excited and doing interesting things and working on hard problems. And that's just always a joy for me personally. Plus, I got to admit, most of these episodes come from those conversations. I'm learning things constantly from talking to you. So I do hope you'll sign up. And until next time, ciao.